All right, we're in a message series that we're calling, calling Following. Pretty, pretty basic title for the series. And what we're doing is we're looking at what it means to follow Christ in his own words. So I've gone through Mark, the, the first book written about his life in the New Testament, and I pulled out all of the things he said related to what it means to follow him. Last week, we looked at Jesus' first recorded words about following him, himself, and he said, this is what he said, it's interesting, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's right here, it's about, about to begin uh, making its way on earth, repent and believe in the gospel. Very straightforward statement. Uh, very simple. Um, repent and put your faith in the gospel, the good message that Christ has earned salvation for us by the grace of God. To, to repent means to change your mind and your direction. And we, we repent not to earn salvation, but because we realize that we've been going the wrong way. We, we need to change our minds and our directions, and we repent. And when we do, God gives grace to enter the kingdom, which is, which is what it's all about. We, we get into his kingdom. And then a lifetime of learning begins as we learn how to follow him as a citizen in his kingdom. That's where it all begins. So we're looking at what it means to follow Christ in his own words, because if you don't understand what it means and, and how to follow the way he describes it, the way he told us to, then it's very easy to get confused. Because you set out following Christ many times, God's working, we're having some kind of trouble, we're struggling in family life, we're struggling in our career, just in our own minds, we're we're feeling low for some reason. Some, some circumstances beyond our control are bringing us to a point where we're looking for help. <laughs> we're, look, we're beginning to look to God to really help. Is, is there a God? Is he there? What's going on? And as we begin to investigate what it means to follow Christ, you find out that Jesus promised some things. He promised that if you turn around from going your own way, if you repent and believe, that you will actually begin to experience life to the full, abundant life, the best kind of life possible. And if you don't understand your own role in that, in experiencing that life to the full, if you don't get it, then it's easy to get confused. You, you can be confused when your life doesn't change the way you think it will from following Christ at, at times. And, you know, you, because my thought was, okay, when I first started following Christ, okay, I'm, I'm tired of living life independent from God. I'm tired of doing life my own way. Here, Jesus, I'm going to give you life. Would you just fix it? Zap! So I'm like, waiting for the zap, you know, I'm waiting. And then I'd live a day and I'd, I'd you know, I'd, there's, there's some new strength, there's some new understanding, and, and I'm beginning to learn how to treat people 
But I'm waiting for the zap, and you know, I'm still going sideways. I'm still saying hurtful things occasionally, maybe more than occasionally. I'm still sort of wrapped around my own life and my own way of thinking, and I'm waiting for the zap. Jesus just changed me, so I don't have to trust you, so I don't have to do anything. And it, you know, the zap wasn't a zap, it was kind of like a poof. You know, it was like it did. Because that's not what he said. That's not, what Jesus, that's not the way it works. So if you don't understand what Jesus says, he does give abundant life, the best kind of life possible. But we have a role to play in that. We, we, we have something to do, and we're looking today at something important, at the very heart of what it means to learn his kingdom ways. We're going to dig in and look at that, And that's a role that we play as he begins to change us through the very circumstances, through the the wins and the losses, the the failures and the victories. He's teaching us. He's changing us. And he wants us to learn to cooperate with him in a way that life gets better and better. There is no and you're, you're immediately fixed. But boy, life does get better as you learn to walk with him. As you learn his kingdom ways, it gets better and better. So if you don't understand what he says about following him, you get really confused. And um, you, you actually can be very, very miserable. Because what tends to happen is you know what the Bible says, and boy, there are some serious commands about what it means to follow him. So you know, you sort of learn what you need to do, and you got one foot in the kingdom, then you got your other foot in this world, and you're straddling this line, and it's tough because you have to start faking it. Nobody wants to be fake, and so it's miserable trying to pull that off, and we're not making the progress that we want. It's sort of like if you don't understand what Jesus really said, what it means to follow him, it's sort of like trying to walk against a moving sidewalk. You know, you're, you're, you're spinning, you're spinning, you're taking the steps, you're making the steps, and you're not getting anywhere. So that's why we're looking at this. That's why we're looking at following, because everything we do, almost, actually every Sunday, relates to following Christ. That's what he called us to do. If you are investigating what it means to follow Christ, what, what he wants you to do is decide to follow him. If you're Already a follower of Christ, that's what you do. You follow him. You listen to what he says, and you do what he wants you to do. And you follow. As you get into the scripture, you find out what his example is, you dig in and follow. I'd like you to listen. Actually, you can read with me on the screens. A description of what Jesus calls us to do, it was written by Don Everts in a book called Jesus with Dirty Feet. He wore sandals, so he had dirty feet. Jesus was not a Christian. He never asked anyone to become a Christian. Never built a steepled building, never drew up a theological treatise, never took an offering, never wore religious garments, never incorporated for tax purposes. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) I I don't really, okay, forget it. I was about to go off, but I won't. Um, he simply called people to follow him. That's, that's his call. That's what he did. He called people to follow him. That's it. 
That, despite its simplicity, is it. He called people to follow him. It is never more than Jesus' call. Follow me in a response, dropping familiar nets and following. In faith, the sandaled Jewish man. It is never more than that. 2,000 years of words can do nothing to the simple, basic reality of Christianity. Those first steps taken by those two brothers, Peter and Andrew, first disciples, their theology was as pure as it gets. Jesus said, follow me, and we did. That's what it's about. You decide to follow Christ. If you, be, if you decide to do what he's asking you to do, that's what you do. You follow him. Following is what Jesus asked us to do and what he called his first disciples to do and what he's asking people to do today. It's what Christ followers do. We follow. He called his followers to be with him, to watch him, to listen, to trust him, to imitate him, to obey him and be devoted to him. And we do that primarily through the scripture and through his spirit that he gives us as you decide to repent and believe in the gospel. His spirit comes, lives in, and he begins to lead you. So that immediately is something you find out as you follow Christ. Is, wow, I'm aware of things I'd never thought of before. Because the Holy Spirit is alive and well and working in me. So he gives the help to follow. But we've got to listen. It's interesting what Jesus would do. Because crowds would gather around him as he taught and as he began to heal people. There'd be tremendous crowds that gathered because of the amazing things that he was doing and teaching. And what he did every time was emphasize what it would cost to follow him. He didn't pander to the crowds. He didn't cater to them. But he would emphasize what it cost. Because Jesus is looking for followers. He's not just looking for a crowd to hang out with. He's looking for followers. That's what he wants. Mark 8.34 says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, if you want to be a motivational speaker, it's probably not what you say, is it? Hey, if, if, you want to, if, if anyone wants to follow me, take, deny yourself, take up your cross, an instrument of torture and crucifixion, and follow me now. He said this intentionally because he wasn't looking to gather major crowds. He was looking for followers who would decide step by step to do what he wants. And as you do that, as you take step after step after step, he leads you into the best kind of life that you can possibly have. But there is a major difference between being a part of a crowd, sort of a fan, of Jesus and a follower of Christ. Here's, here's a, just some, some of the differences. Crowds are temporary, they're fickle, they're unpredictable, they're transitory, and fleeting. Followers are lasting, loyal, committed, consistent, and faithful. Jesus wants followers. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it, this is sort of encouraging to me because I can do that if I decide to. 
I can follow. I, I can't be perfect. I can't be some caricature of what it means to be the perfect Christian religious person. But I can follow as God in, in Christ accepts me right where I am. All my mess, all my problems, all my failures, all my struggles. He accepts me and he just asks me to take the next step, then the next step, then the next step. I can do that if I will. If I decide to, that's something I can pull off. That encourages me. We, we make it pretty difficult sometimes. What, what is this Christianity thing? What's it mean? How do I decipher it? Well, that's, that's basically what it means. One step after the other. You're following Christ. For a Christian, the expectations tend to be defined by church attendance or Bible reading or other kinds of religious activity, praying, whatever you, you can think of that relates. But being a Christ follower, the measure of maturity is determined by the speed of obedience. He told me to take this step, I take it. Or he told me to take this step, oh, let me think about it. You need to grow a little bit if that's the case. That's not, that's not maturity. But maturity is, he tells me to take it, I'm taking it, right as he tells me. I'm trying to take the step of obedience. Because I've learned to trust him. I've learned to believe in the good message of who he is. And I've learned to follow as I've taken those steps one after the other, and he has come through and given me everything I've needed to do what he's asked me to do. Jesus was clear on the number one characteristic of his followers, and that's what we're going to look at today. He's very clear on this. Followers of Christ have decided to do God's will above everything else. Number one characteristic, we've decided to do what God wants if we're following Christ. I want to take you to a scene in Jesus' life. And we can probably identify with this scene, I'm pretty sure. It was toward the very beginning of his ministry. Uh, he had begun to teach and heal, uh, and crowds began to gather around him. They're just, people were just swarming him. And they're swarming him because they're amazed at his teaching and his power. They're amazed at what he was doing. And um, I'm sure that what was happening is the, the word about what he was doing and teaching was spreading rapidly, like it went viral in the first century. I don't, I don't know what, how that happens. I know a guy, you know, this guy got 7 million hits on his YouTube video this week in two days. That's going viral in our day. In Jesus' day, probably different. Word of mouth viral. It went viral. Okay, it's spreading. And crowds are just, wherever he shows up to teach or heal, they're just starting to follow him because they realize he has an authority and a power that they've never seen before. They've never seen anybody heal with a word. They've never seen anybody teach with the kind of authority that he taught with. And so he's demonstrating this authority over sickness and demons and um, People never seen that, so they're just, whew, i got to get more of this. This is amazing. i got to see what's going on here. When in the middle of the excitement, at the very beginning of his ministry, Mark gives us a glimpse into his 
extended family dynamics. Because in Mark 3, what you see is, after the crowds are gathering, he's, he's begun to heal, he's begun to teach, he comes home. It says he went home, and the crowd gathered again. They're following him home. So that uh, they, they couldn't even eat. You know, they're, they're just gathered around his house. And when the family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. They're trying to figure out what the uproar is. Can you imagine if somebody who grew up in your family is healing with a word, and they're teaching with authority, like speaking the very words of God? They thought he was crazy. And so um, what they do is they, they start planning an intervention, and we don't know exactly how Jesus responds when they went out to him to seize him, because I'm sure they, they tried to get in through the crowd to seize him and you know, help him get back in his right mind. You know, hey, Jesus, come on. We saw you grow up. Um, it's not really said how Jesus responds, uh, but it's clear that he keeps doing what he's doing. He, he just keeps on going. And then sometime later... While he's teaching again, uh, Mark tells us that this happened. Mark 3, 31, 35. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. So he's teaching, and they try to get his attention because they want to have a word with him. This is the intervention they've been planning. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. They're looking for you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers. And looking about as though at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He uses the intervention to make a statement about what it means to follow him. A very, very important statement. At any given moment, if you were to take a poll of what others thought you should do, there'd be a bunch of opinions. I mean, you're facing a decision, you're facing a circumstance. Um, there would be many, many opinions about what you should do. And your, your, your family likely would have a very strong opinion about what, about what you should do. Unless you were doing, of course, what they thought you should do. Then, then there wouldn't be an opinion. But Jesus points to the number one priority of a follower of Christ, to do the will of God. This is what it means to be in my family. This is what it means to be a part of my kingdom. You set yourself to do the will of God. And many times, God's will will clash with my will, or it will clash with what my family thinks I should be doing. And what you decide when you decide to follow Christ is, I'm going to do his will above everything else. It's going to outrank all the other opinions of what I should be doing with my life. Jesus uses this family intervention as an opportunity to teach us this most important characteristic of a follower of Christ. And this is how we learn his kingdom ways. When a Christ follower's goals and desires clash with God's will, they surrender to do it. 
This is what Jesus showed us to do. The great thing about following Jesus, he paved the way. He took the first steps. He, he showed us how this all works and how this fits together. Uh, when he was about to face the crucifixion, an extremely painful death, he was going to be beaten and crucified. When he was facing his beating and crucifixion, uh, you get a glimpse in the Gospels about a, a prayer time that he took. He went to a garden, and he spent some time in prayer. And here's essentially what he said. Father, if you're, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus showed us. Can you imagine? You know what's coming. You know you're going to be beaten. You're going to be crucified. I wouldn't want that either. I would, if I have a vote, I vote against that. And that's basically what Jesus is saying, but he knew he didn't. He's just expressing his heart to God. God, if there's any other way, I'd prefer another way. He was honest about his emotions and his feelings and what he was thinking about things. And then he surrendered to God's will over his own, his own desire. Because he knew this is God's way to accomplish, to accomplish salvation for us. This is the way to do it. In our kids' classes, we, we have a list of enemy thoughts that we teach them. And this, this is one of them. It's not what I want. You know, if you're a kid, you get in a lot of situations where you have to do what you don't want. You know, I think of going to hang out with a bunch of adults and there's no toys. You have to sit there and listen to the adults talking. Oh, this is killing me, you know. And it, and it is. This is not what I want, you know. I, I, kids, you know, I don't want stew. I want spaghetti. That was that was my mantra growing up. You know, I don't stew. You have to chew them. It takes forever to chew that meat, you know. I don't want stew. I don't. I don't. I don't want to clean my room. I want to play video games. I I don't want to read. I want to go play outside. Whatever it is. Kids face these things, so we're trying to equip them to deal with those thoughts. We get this way with God. We, we do the same thing. Um, and we learn his ways when we surrender in the midst of the clash between what's going on in our life and what we really want. That's how we learn his ways. When there's this clash between what I want and what God wants or between how I want my life to be and what God is allowing to flow into my life, that's when we learn his kingdom ways. The boss may give us an assignment. We, we don't, a direct command, we don't want to do that. I, that. He's handing out this assignment and we couldn't make ourselves invisible enough. You know, we were trying to hide, but he, he, he found us in there. Or something doesn't turn out the way that we want it to. It's, it's just the outcome stinks. You know, we put all this effort in. We've been trying this and trying to do this. Try, and the, the, it just stinks. We're upset with the way it turned out. We, we don't get the promotion at work. We don't get the grade we were looking for, whatever it is. We just don't get what we wanted. We don't, nobody paid attention. We don't get the credit for all the work that we put in. The family just won't get on board with my plan. You know, I had a great plan for the day. Everybody's 
being squirrely. They're wanting to do what they want to do. They're going all over the place. And, you know, we find ourselves in the middle of a conflict. Boy, we really don't want to be there. <laughs> don't know where this is coming from. But what a pain. This, these are the moments when it really counts. And we have a decision. We have a choice that we make. In, in these moments, there is a strong pull to just do what I want. To do what I've always done. To make sure we get our way. To use my go-to strategy for getting my way. This is a crucial moment. A Christ follower must learn to make a shift. This is what repentance is all about. You, you make a shift in the moment to set your heart and mind on doing God's will. Very, very different approach than just doing what I've always done, doing what I want to do. I set my heart on doing what God would want me to do in that very moment. And, you know, if you're like me, you mess up. And you don't do what God wants. You do what you want. You do your old pattern. But the commitment is, if you mess up, then you repent and get it straightened out. If you've hurt some other people, you get that straightened out and make it right with them as well. But this is the crucial moment. God, in that moment, God, I want to do your will. Will you help me with it? Will you help me figure out what it is? If I don't know, then I need to learn. We're going to do better when we accept the unwanted circumstances and the things that are beyond our control rather than fight against them and set our heart to do God's will in them because when we do, future blessing unfolds. This is how God works. When we take the step that he's telling us to take in the circumstance we're facing, that's how the blessing unfolds. That's how we begin to experience life the way that God intended it. If we never take the step to follow in that moment and do his will, we never experience the life. That's what we need to understand. Following means I surrender over and over and over again to do it God's way, not my way. This is how you learn his ways. You surrender. When you arrive at that intersection between what he wants and what I want, the way life is going, the way I'd prefer it to go, and you surrender. When we get that assignment, or we have this chore that we don't want to do, and we know we really need to do it, we don't just give it the bare minimum. We don't complain and whine about it. The kingdom way is to work heartily as serving the Lord. And to do so without complaining or arguing. Or just spilling all kinds of stuff as you do it. If we do that, Philippians 2 says we're going to shine like stars in the universe. We are going to stand out. If you want to improve your reputation at work, stop complaining and arguing. Everybody does that. Robert Hughes wrote a book called The Culture of Complaint. We got that down. <laughs> if you want to shine like a star, stop complaining and arguing. Just do it. Do what you need to do. Work heartily. That's what Colossians 3 says. What if I don't get the promotion or the credit that I think I deserve for something? Kingdom citizens aren't concerned with rank. They, they, aren't, they aren't concerned with their rank, but they aim to be a real help 
and contribute to the overall effort to play the role that they have to the best of their ability. That's what Mark 10 says. Jesus made that clear. The greatest in the kingdom are going to be the servants. This is very backward for us. It's reverse of our natural inclinations, our natural tendencies. That's why we have to learn the ways of the kingdom. And we learn those ways in the in the middle of these crucial moments when there's this clash, when I find myself embroiled in a conflict in the family, uh, in, in my marriage, in family life, at work, or in the church, whatever it is, if I'm a Christ follower, I sprint toward making peace. That's what I do. That's, what, that's the kingdom way. I sprint toward it. I run toward it. I get there as fast as I can. Now, I don't make peace at all costs. But I, I do whatever I can to make peace in that situation. I don't explode in anger. I don't sulk. I don't try to manipulate or check out of the situation, just take my ball and go home, whatever my normal strategy is. I, if I do that, I, I repent, get it right. God's gracious. He forgives. And then I go back to set my heart to do His will. Learning his kingdom ways takes a lifetime. We, we learn bit by bit, day by day, situation by situation. And then we step into eternity and we'll fully understand when we get there. But boy, life gets better as I learn to do God's will. If I do his will in my family, if I do my, his will at work, in my neighborhood, wherever I am, if I do his will, it gets good, better and better and better. So I need to do his will and trust him to be working his plan for me on this earth. Philippians 2 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This is what God's doing. He works in all these circumstances, situations to fulfill his purpose as we surrender. When a Christ follower's goals and desires clash with God's will, they surrender. And if I do that, if I learn God's ways and surrender over and over and over again, God's blessing unfolds. When I surrender to God's will, I experience what I've been looking for by using my own strategies, by doing it the way I want, by railing against the circumstances that I have. When I surrender to God's will, I begin to experience exactly what I've been looking for. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I heard a guy one time say the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. Yeah, and they do. But living, this is, our, this is it. Surrender, sacrifice to God's will holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is what it means to worship. We give ourselves to God, to let him use us however he wants, to let him walk us through any circumstance or situation that he allows to come our way. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Now, here's what it is. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. That's what we want. We want it to go good. We, we, God's will is acceptable. It doesn't look so hot at the outset. But when you take that step and follow through, 
as he tells you to, you begin to understand his will is good, acceptable, and perfect. It's what I've always wanted. He, he begins to take our obedience and our following and weasel life that we're beginning to experience was exactly what we wanted. May not give us the circumstances we want, may not paint the picture the way we see it, but if we'll surrender to him, he'll make it good. He, he will make it right. This is the re- reverse of the way we want things to work, isn't it? Show me the good, and I'm going to follow. That's what we want. Show me the good, and I'll take the step. But that's not the way it works. You never learn kingdom ways if you don't sacrifice, if you don't surrender. You, you never learn them. But when you do, life gets good. So when I surrender to God's will, I get the life I've always wanted. Second, my understanding begins to grow because if you don't surrender, your understanding will never develop of what it means to follow Christ. You'll never learn his ways. John 7, 17 says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If you're checking out what it means to follow Christ and trying to decide whether or not he is, he is really God, you have to approach this investigation and decision with a desire to do God's will if you find out he's real. He won't, he won't show himself to you if you don't. So that's what this passage is saying. It's the same if we're already following Christ. And we're trying to discover, discover God's will in a specific matter, decision, choice, circumstance, what do I do, how do I respond to this, how do I handle this, same thing. He, he's not going to show you how to respond to your boss, how to, how to help your son deal with the pattern he's dealing with, how to, how to, how to um, say the right thing to your wife or to your husband to deal with the conflict. He's not going to show you unless you're ready to do his will. So surrender is important. Before God is going to reveal his will, He checks our heart. We have to have already decided to do it. When I surrender to God's will, I'm living for what endures. 1 John 2, 17, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All the stuff that we live for in this world gets rusty and wears out. But if we live for the will of God, What we are living for goes on forever. It just goes on and on. If we do the will of God, our relationships tend to be durable. They grow stronger and sweeter over time. If we do the will of God in them, if we're parents, we lead our kids to live for what's going to last. We leave a legacy that endures. Our marriages thrive and grow stronger. We, we build a career in a way that doesn't crumble. We pour into people in ministry and have the opportunity with, to live with this eternal edge that makes a difference that goes on and on and on. That's what it means to live in the kingdom of God. It's a real privilege. It's a real joy. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to consider what is my next step after hearing this message today. As the band comes up and gets ready to lead us, uh, please pull out your connection card and, 
If you haven't had a chance to finish completing any information or letting us know what your next steps are that we've already talked about, that'd be great if you could do that. Um, and then I have some next steps I'm suggesting. If, if you could complete filling that out and then drop it in the offering when it comes by, that'd be great. So here, here's my suggestion for your next step. My next step is to surrender. Maybe it's a circumstance some kind of struggle, some, some kind of thing that's going on in your life, whatever it is, you can fill in the blank, but I'm going to surrender that and do God's will. In this moment, in this crucial moment, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. That's your next step, and you're thinking of a specific, a specific thing that you're dealing with. Another step would be for the first time I accept Jesus is my Savior, and I will follow him as Lord. Maybe you're ready to take that step, to repent and believe in the gospel, the good message about Christ. Um, if you're ready to do that, let us know. We'd love to help you with that. We'll send you some information that would be really very helpful to you. Um, there are other steps. Pass out door hangers, conduct surveys, attend the preview service. Please let us know if you want to take any of these steps and then drop that card in the offering when it comes by, and uh, we'll pray with you any way we can and help you any way we can as well. Would you bow your heads right now and pray with me before we continue in worship? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that just helps us understand you and what you've asked us to do. And I pray, God, that you would really... Give us the power to take these steps that you've laid on our heart this morning. And if, if you've spoken to us, God, I pray that you'd, you'd help us to have the strength to do exactly what you pointed out. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.